Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mind on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and my guest today is once again Nina Naram. Nina is a licensed social worker as well as a primary therapist at Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health in Hamilton, New Jersey. And today, Nina and I discuss how she helps the parents of LGBT teens navigate their child's coming out process. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode and find it helpful. I really specialize in anxiety disorders in like my clinical work, um, and a large part of treating that is just tolerating distress, right, um, or like uncertainty. Uh, so I guess I'm wondering if there's some kind of tie in there to like, like when you said, um, oh maybe somebody will find out or maybe somebody knows. Like I immediately went to like sort of like those anxious thoughts of like oh there's some uncertainty there maybe somebody knows maybe um somebody will think something maybe um you know i don't know somebody could tell by the way i said something that um you know really i i'm gay or whatever um is there a correlation that you've noticed between like maybe like obsessive thoughts about those kinds of things or like anxious thoughts about those kinds of things is that sort of part of the clinical picture that you notice too like that constant kind of checking i think it depends on you know kind of a number of factors um i notice that that comes up most significantly when the individual is not out um so you know we have this concept of kind of coming out of the closet right being kind of socially i suppose uh straightforward about this aspect of your identity versus if you're in the closet, you are, you know, not disclosing that and you're trying to um, maybe present in a different way than you are just for, you know, for all the various factors we've identified. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that kind of checking, a lot of those anxious or obsessive thoughts um, definitely do come up, uh, particularly when someone is closeted. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the, yeah, so the, the the stress of being closeted, um, whether it's uh, in regards to your sexual orientation or gender presentation, um, can be quite significant. Mm-hmm. Um, when we have, uh, you know, when we have youth who are, um, you know, ly- like in some ways, you know, they kind of identify it as like lying to their families or again, having whole relationships that nobody knows about, or, you know, they're actively making plans for, okay, when I turn 18, I'm going to go to college and maybe that's, that's when I'm going to be able to be free Mm -hmm. or be myself. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times it's really just about what's the next thing that I can do. And it's, um, it's almost like, it's a little, it feels a little bit impossible to kind of tolerate the distress of, you know, what's happening right now versus, okay, someday, you know, Mm -hmm. tomorrow I'll get this figured out, but today it's not happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I definitely noticed that happening. Um, I think that this, oh, sorry. I was, uh, this also, this also comes across, I think this this anxiety, this these you know the checking behavior, so forth, um, also really comes across in um, something that I mentioned earlier, which was um, in terms of social media use mm, and how mm. relationships are mediated. 
Um, I think before, um, before kind of starting to work with, you know, a lot of kind of the Gen Zers that I work with, um, you know, I, I don't know that I'd necessarily realized how, how often now, um, their romantic relationships can be a particularly in this population be almost entirely mediated through social media. Mm -hmm. Um, I see a lot of young patients of mine who say that they have a partner, um, but that partner is someone who they met online mm. and who they have never met in person, um, and who they may, they may never meet in person. Right. Um, they can spend significant amounts of time with this person, maybe on in like a chat room mm -hmm. or on a video call, FaceTiming, something of that sort. Um, and you know, this is also a relationship that may be um, completely, completely secret from their families mm -hmm. or um, completely unknown to their families. So um, a lot of times you have, you know, other factors at play here as well. You know, are these people necessarily who they say they are? Um, or at times, you know, I've, I've seen um, other partners uh, be very problematic. Um, earlier, we were talking about what are some of the um, what are some of the unique sort of clinical considerations that come up with this population? Right. Um, and one of those things is intimate partner violence. Mm. Um, you know, there is there can be a significant amount of um, you know intimate partner violence occurring when you have um, you know relationships in which you don't have social pressure. Uh, the social pressure of being seen in public or being regarded in public by, you know, the other person's friends or community to keep you on your good behavior. Mm. So um, if intimate partner violence is happening or, you know, I've seen, um, I've seen, uh, you know, youth in these virtual relationships with partners who are influencing them in really, mm. um, you know, re really, I mean, frankly, like unhealthy ways. Yeah. Um, that's not always the case. And given, you know, kind of just the slice of population that we see in our offices, um, that does, that has tended to be the case when I've seen it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I got to tell you as a parent, that scares the hell out of me. Um, yeah. but also, yeah. you know, not only intimate partner violence, but like, um, are, is this person even who they really say they are? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Catfishing is, is really a thing. Okay. So I guess I'm wondering, like, we were just talking about if a kid comes in their closet and it can lead to sort of some of this anxiety and then you have some kids that come in and they're out. Um, but I'm sure that a big part of treatment, um, a big part of the clinical picture for all of these kids really is going to be their parents' reaction to um, like if they did come out um, or, you know, how supportive they are of like them transitioning. So I guess I'm wondering, like, what can you do as a clinician to help parents? Or I don't know, like, how do you approach that as a clinician? Uh, yeah, sure. So, you know, so, so as ever, I'm going to give this disclaimer that it, it depends. Um, yeah, of depends course. On right. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> depends on the circumstances, mm -hmm. the kid, the family. But let's say we're in a situation where um, a kid has come out uh, as, you know, some kind of gender or, uh, sexual identity, uh, that is, you know, that is new to their families. Mm -hmm. So, um, when they are, 
when they're coming out, you know, a lot of times I'll see families that, um, can be, you know, can be support. Some families are really supportive, you mm -hmm. know, some families, um, particularly I think, uh, in the sense of se like sexual orientation, I think, cause maybe we have, I suppose maybe as a culture, we have more conversations mm -hmm. about what that means. Um, that I, I perceive that at least kind of anecdotally as being maybe a little bit more palatable for families. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little less scary if, you know, Susie says that she likes girls rather than if Susie wants to, you know, uh, change her gender identity and now use he, him pronouns and have a completely different life than the family imagined for them. Can I maybe give uh, a, a parent's perspective on that? Please do. Um, because I'm wondering if it's, I could be totally off base here, um, but I would imagine there's more of a grieving process that goes along with that too. Like, absolutely. you know, if I, if my son, he decided he wanted to start changing his pronouns mm -hmm. um, and going by a new name and, you know, no longer being a boy, like I definitely would have a hard time with that to some degree not because yeah. like i no longer loved him or i don't want to support him but like of course you're it's like you're that's definitely a loss in a way yeah absolutely. Um, and it absolutely. of course it's not the same thing as like actually losing a child but like as a parent like i do have empathy for other parents who have a, a child who's transitioning because i think that probably is like I said, there's definitely a grieving process that goes along with that. I would imagine. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think from from the perspective that I've seen, um, you know, there haven't been – usually by the time I have a patient in front of me, mm -hmm. there has been some conversation between them and their family about, okay, this is part of my identity. This is something that's going on for me. Partly because it's so – you know, very kind of like, you could say like psychically challenging to mask that, um, sure. especially when you're experiencing such high level of, um, you know, mood disorder symptoms, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like one added layer that like they're, you know, just kind of done trying to, trying to cover over. Mm -hmm. um, there are times though, when I have had parents who, um, who do, you know, who certainly are in that grieving process. And it is, it is kind of tragic for them that, you know, I have this child who um, doesn't want the name that I gave them anymore. Maybe I, mm -hmm. maybe they were given like a family name and it has, you know, it has so much meaning. It has, there was so much deliberation put into, into this name. Mm -hmm. Or a lot of times I will see parents who are, they're, you know, they're working, they're working on it. They're working on being okay with this. Right, um, right. It's a process like any other. Yes. Um, yeah. And they're, and, and maybe they're okay with that process, mm -hmm. except, you know what, actually we're going to go see your grandma for her birthday and she doesn't really mm. know. And she's a little bit too old to deal with that. Right. So could you just, could you just kind of not bring it up? Could yeah. you just, you yeah. know, wear, wear these old clothes that you used to wear? Could mm. you just do that mm -hmm. for one, for one day for me? Right, 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 um, right. Sure. I could totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We see, we see that a lot. Um, and so, you know, when that happens, it's 
from, you know, from a clinical perspective, from a clinician's perspective, it is important to recognize, uh, to recognize that aspect. And, you know, I'll say that when I'm working with families that are in this sort of situation, mm. um, I end up putting, I think, a lot more time into communicating with the parents, um, particularly without their child around. So part of what I will do is um, I'll be providing, you know, sort of additional psychoeducation as to, you know, your child is saying these things. And I know that they've, you know, sort of come out to you in this way. But do you really know what that means? Mm. Um, you know, do you do you know what it means to be genderqueer? Or, you know, if you have a child who's coming out as trans male, do you, do you know why they're doing that? Or, you know, is there some way that we can you know, again, support, support the parents in the way that we can. But ultimately, what we're trying to do is, is stabilize and ensure the safety of the of the youth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do we know how we can work on that while, you know, sort of planting the seeds for some of these maybe more long term conversations to to get started? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I've absolutely kind of had uh, those sort of parent, let's say parent sessions, um, where I've gone over um, gender identity, I've mm -hmm. gone over, you know, your child may or may not be exploring, you know, wanting to socially transition or medically transition, you know, what might that look like? Um, you know, I'll kind of go on a case by case basis. Um, mm -hmm. If a child isn't interested or hasn't expressed to me that they're interested in transitioning in a certain way, um, I might not explore that with their parents. Um, you know, I might speak in general terms with their families unless the child has given me specific permission to speak with their with their parents on certain topics, um, and then I'll I'll go into more depth with it. Um, but part of the reason why I make sure to have these conversations without the patient present is because it can be incredibly invalidating mm. for them to yeah. hear some of the questions and concerns that their parents have. Um, and ultimately, you know, I want to protect the patient. And I actually also want to protect their parents, too. Um, you know, their parents should be able to ask these questions of, you know, and, and get some answers. Yep. Um, because oftentimes, you know, as it happens in other contexts in our work, um, they don't mean to be invalidating. Mm -hmm. They, they mo more often than not, simply don't, they just don't know. Right, sure. Yeah, um, it, I mean, I guess that's, kind of what I was thinking as I was listening to you talk is just like, it, it sounds like the biggest piece is really education. I mean, um, like you said, they might be saying, oh, I'm genderqueer. And the parents might have no idea what the hell that means, <laughs> to yeah. be frank. Yeah. Um, so it's really, I think it sounds like trying to pro provide them with as much education as possible so that they're both kind of speaking the same language. I mean, yeah, that is that is essentially what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times you have, you know, teens who've, you know, it's it's their own identity and they are usually much more like media or technology literate. So they have been, um, you know, they've been exploring this stuff for a lot longer than their parents right. have. And totally certainly probably longer than their parents have realized or more mm -hmm. in depth than they've realized. So there's quite a deficit, you know, in terms of what they understand to be true and what their parents understand. So mm. bridging that gap is something, you know, is something that I can provide in a, in a, in a safe way. Yeah. So discussing with their parents is helpful in that way. It's also helpful because, you know, 
it really, you know, ultimately when you look at it, you know, the duration of care, right, at the IOP PHP level is so brief. Right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're looking at maybe two months right. of care. Mm -hmm. um, and so if that is if that is the case, part of what I try to do in terms of my conceptualization of what I would like to get done with families and youth before they leave is, is there any way that we can make what's going on for the youth, you know, youth and family versus the problem rather than what they usually come on with, which is family versus youth. Mm, um, yeah. So is there any way that they can be aligned in their mm. goals and their mission? So um, in addressing like parent fears and parent, you know, the grieving that we kind of just discussed, mm -hmm. I will also want to identify like, hey, ultimately, like, this is really hard for you. That is okay. You know, I'm certainly no stranger to referring parents for their own care because, you know, when you have a teen who's chronically suicidal or has, you know, X, Y, or Z thing happening, that that's traumatic mm -hmm. for you too. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, what I try to do is really help kind of see, is there any way that we can make this more of, a, you know, us as a cohesive family unit trying to figure this out and get ourselves back to, you know, the ultimate goal, which is, is my child okay? Yeah, beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the times when I see parents really pushing back against some of these things, you know, it's, it's kind of a shame because I know how, you know, just from a clinical perspective, how risky it is to their youth, to their kid, that they are not accepting of this. Totally. Yes. Um, you know, I, sorry, go, go ahead. I, I have yeah. something I want to say. I want to redeem myself a little bit. So go ahead. <laughs> first you go ahead. Yeah. No yeah. problem. No problem. Um, yeah. I mean, like when I, when I have um, parents or families uh, who are having a harder time with um, accepting their kids, it's, it's just a shame because like, I know how much higher the risk is for their mm. child in terms of um, their health, their safety, their wellness, their um, their job prospects, their um, likelihood of becoming homeless. Um, you know, all of these things, you know, skyrocket when we have um, unaccepting families. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those are things that, you know, th those are some things that kind of keep me awake at night. Mm -hmm. um, you know, additionally, like, even if it's not kind of at that level, it is, you know, certainly still pretty sad to see because I know that that child does not feel safe sharing who they are authentically with their families. Um, and I know they're just counting the days until they can kind of, you know, cut and run. Right. Um, which ultimately, you know, is not what I'd, I'd like to see for them and ultimately is is going to be some folks' path, um, mm -hmm. whether it's for necessity's sake or safety sake or what have you. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I told you I was going to try to redeem myself a little bit because yeah, I, I've just felt kind of gross saying like, well, from the parent's perspective, there's a grieving process. Oh, it's and okay. I, no, that, that's a very real thing. That is a very is. real thing. No, no. And I still <laughs> believe that that's a real thing. Mm -hmm. And like, as much as we should like validate that and honor that to some degree, like, like, not to some degree that needs to be validated because there's truth there and the more important the most important thing is that your kid feels like you love them and that you accept them so um 
that, I mean, we were talking about the grieving process if they're like transitioning or if they come out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's nothing compared to the grieving process that you'll feel if they feel unloved and then they wind up committing suicide. Yeah. You know, so I guess my thought process was just like, I did want to bring that up because I do think that that needs to be validated because there's truth to it for sure. Um, and like, you know, this conversation, I realized we're talking about LGBTQ youth and like, what is your priority? I mean, is your priority, you know, fighting with your kid, not accepting them, trying to fight against this thing that's going to happen whether you wanted to or not? Or is your priority loving and accepting your kid and making sure that they're okay? Yeah. And that's not to say that it's not difficult because like I said, I could imagine that it is very difficult, but nothing's more difficult than actually losing your child. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. Like the minute that the minute, I mean, the all the time spent that your kid feels not loved and not accepted by you as a parent, the just increases the risk for just very negative mental health outcomes, including sometimes suicide. And obviously that's the number one most important thing that we are trying to prevent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, depending on the severity of the situation, I mean, I've had kids who are, um, you know, chronically making attempts. I've had Mm -hmm. kids who are, you know, just really, really in a rough spot. Um, And, you know, there have been times when um, I've tried to provide some education to their families. And um, I suppose it's a, a little bit helpful that, you know, part of you know, the track that I most primarily work with is DBT. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there is kind of that benefit of as a modality, you know, we have this framework of it's never going to be just, you know, the identified patient working on skills. It's got to be kind of everyone in the home. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of that that's kind of beneficial is, you know, I'll go over with parents, um, you know, radical acceptance and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you don't have to like it. You don't have to want it. You don't have to even like necessarily understand it so much, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, but simply acknowledging, um, can be immensely helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as they go through their own processing, um, again, kind of depending on the severity of, of the situation, um, you know, when they're going through, when they're going through their own kind of parental grieving process, which again, mm. I, I, you know, I do want to validate is real um, sure. and, and needs, needs its own space and needs its own, um, you know, has its own part to play here. Yes. Um, but depending on, you know, the severity of, of the patient, you know, at times, you know, parents have a lot of questions and they will naturally kind of be drawn to asking their teen, like, why are you doing this? Mm. What are you, what what's the intention here? You know, mm-hmm. do you, are you trying to hurt, are you trying to hurt me in doing mm-hmm. this? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, why, yeah. why is this happening? Mm-hmm. You know, and there have been times when I have, you know, tried to do my best in answering some of these questions. But, you know, if I have a kid who, you know, is frequently or currently, um, like at a higher level of care or something, I will say to the parents, you know, like, I want to get you connected to community. I want to, do my best to answer some questions. And, you know, you have to understand that 
your child cannot give you those answers right now Mm because in some ways they probably don't have an answer to give you. They probably Mm -hmm. don't know why. Um, They probably don't understand themselves. And, um, you know, like the questions that you have, they they are not capable of dealing with right now. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like I have, you know, again, in certain situations, I have told families like, you know, I am going to recommend that you do not have that conversation right now. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, you have to wait until this kid is more stabilized. You have to wait until this kid has successfully made it and is ma- is maintaining an outpatient. And then we can revisit, you can revisit some of these things. Um, but like, I'm going to need, you know, as a parent, I'm going to need you to tolerate some of your distress right yeah, now. Right. Um, to, to make this to make this work um yeah because i mean just the nature of that question right like why are you doing this to me that feels incredibly invalidating i would imagine and unfair to the child right because it's yeah. like what am i like a you're saying something's wrong and b yeah. like i don't have any control over it exactly exactly and like you know ultimately like it is it's kind of wild to think about it because it's such a big part of identity and it's such a big change and everything. Um, or it can be, it can be such a revelation. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of times, you know, it has nothing to, to do with you. You know, it has nothing. Right. Yeah. It really has nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to ask you about, we were kind of talking about the example of like a family who the parents are somewhat open to at least listening and like, um, you know, talking about it. Um, even if they're not a hundred percent supportive, they, you know, they can receive education on it. And like, they are, I guess we'll say contemplative, right? Like they can at least listen to like, they can tolerate being educated on it without completely freaking out and, you know, being somewhat open to it. What about for parents where there's just no wiggle room? They are very triggered and upset. Um, Is there anything you can even really do in that case? Or is it just, I don't know, like, how would you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, you know, when we have families that are completely unopen to, um, to learning more or completely unopen to the fact that this may in fact be the reality for their child, Mm -hmm. um, it can be, you know, incredibly distressing for the child. You know, I will say in my experience with the limitation of being this person, this youth clinician for, you know, again, maybe like two months, you know, there, there, there are some limitations there. Um, There are also, there are also some advantages. So I, I can speak to both, you know, like the limitations that we see is that, you know, obviously there's a very short amount of time for us to build yes. any kind of window of trust. Totally. So, you know, being a trusted sort of advisor or being a trusted professional who's interacting with their child's care, like that is, that that happens really on quite a tight timeline in mm. this setting. On the flip side, um, at times, this could be the highest level of care that the family has ever encountered or the child has ever encountered, mm-hmm. um, which does give some air of legitimacy, right? Which to some degree helps families feel like, all right, well, if, if you do this all the time, like maybe you kind of know what you're talking about, right. <laughs> hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's, that's something that can be leveraged and might be helpful in trying to have some of these conversations. But yeah, sometimes it just gen- they just genuinely are not open to it. So yeah. 
again, like this is not necessarily going to be when we're working with the youth, right? It's not necessarily going to be family therapy that we're doing. It's more about, you know, I have the best interest of my patient in mind. So in the best interest of my patient, who again is, is, is pretty much what's going to be the youth, Mm -hmm. you know, I will try to support them in either self-advocating or, you know, trying to figure out, is it effective or wise to self-advocate in this moment or does something about the environment need to change before we have a chance to actually see some positive change here. 